Welcome back to Behind the Screen. It's a me, Matthew Liebman from Vista Group. I'm Ryan Preventure from Movio. And I'm Simon Burton from Numerate. Well, look, if Chris Pratt can put on an accent, surely I can. Gents, it's been a massive, massive weekend. Um, family films have, have come back with a hiss and a roar. Let's get straight into it. The Super Mario Brothers movie from Universal Illumination with Nintendo's involvement. Simon, let's, let's talk big dollars. Over to you. Yeah, great to see you so excited this week, Matt. I think we all are. Tremendous uh, weekend for, for the business globally, right? Um, the global total for Super Mario Brothers movie this past weekend, $377 million. Uh, $173 million of that coming from the international market with it opening in 70 territories around the world. Uh, this is the biggest international opening weekend of 2023. Uh, if we rattle through some of the, the international uh, highlights or records, and then we'll jump into some of the domestic results as well. Um, internationally, it was the second biggest animated opening weekend of all time, uh, the biggest illumination opening of all time, the biggest video game adaptation opening of all time. Um, just to mention the, 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 the headline results there for, from that weekend. Um, it was the biggest animated opening of all time in 10 markets, uh, the biggest video game adaptation opening of all time in 44 markets and the biggest illumination opening of all time in 30 markets. Uh, so as we said, a total internationally of 173 million. Uh, if we look at the domestic numbers, uh, an absolutely enormous result there, which continued to exceed expectations as we went from sort of four days pre-release into the, the opening on Wednesday. Uh, and then I saw it sort of tick up again by another 70 or 80 million on Friday from some of the, the, the trade estimates there. So the three-day total was $146 million. The entire five-day cum domestically of $204.6 million for a domestic screen average of just over $47,000. We'll come back to that number in a, in a couple of minutes, the $47,000, because when I looked out internationally, that, that screen average wasn't just for the US market. There are a couple of lesser-known territories which also hit a screen average similar to that which was a, a huge result uh, some of the domestic records um, the second largest domestic opening for an anim animation uh, behind Incredibles 2 uh, the number one video game adaptation opening of all time more than doubling the prior record holder of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 which goes 72 million dollars uh, and huge record here the biggest five-day launch in history beating Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, which took $200 million. Uh, and needless to say, the largest opening for Illumination. So we take a, a step back and look at some of the international results. I think what jumped out to me was that the huge performance from Latin America, uh, the largest international market released this weekend was Mexico, where the film grossed $27.4 million US dollars, or a screen average of nearly $30,000 US dollars. Um, to put that into some perspective, uh, if we look at the average ticket prices across the USA and Mexico, depending which source you use in North America, whether it's NATO, the numbers, intelligence, you range between sort of $10.50 and $11.80 on an average ticket price. Uh, if you look at Mexico, the average ticket price is about 65 to 70 pesos, which is approximately $3.60, $3.70 American. But in any case, that's 30% of the ticket price in North America. However, 
you had that that screen average close to thirty thousand dollars. So as busy as it was in all North American theaters this weekend, and I can vouch for how busy it was on Thursday night when I took the family along to see it, uh, there was only a, fair, a few spare seats in the auditorium. Uh, it was three times as busy across Mexico and a number of other Latin American markets. So as I said, Mexico, huge result, number one international territory there, 27 million. Uh, UK, number two, with nearly $20 million. Germany, number three, with 14. And China, interestingly, in fourth position with $12 million. Looking at some of the other enormous results I touched on, or surprising somewhat, were the Latin American results. So Central America grows $6.4 million from 150 sites uh, or screens for a screen average of $42,000. In 11th, 12th and 13th place internationally, we had Colombia, Argentina and Chile. If we look at the Chilean numbers, we had 78 screens for a total of $3.66 million. Uh, So a screen average there of $47,000. And interestingly on that Colombia, Argentina and Chile, you're looking at generally around the 26th, 32nd and 37th ranked market internationally. And on this opening weekend, they ranked in 11th, 12th and 13th. So seriously punching above their weight. Uh, And one other one that that jumped out to me was Bolivia um, with 21 screens, but grossing nearly a million dollars for a screen average of 43,000 US dollars. Ecuador was another one, 53 screens, $2.5 million, a screen average of 47,000 US dollars. So some huge results across Latin America this past weekend for, for Super Mario Brothers, the movie, which, uh, which certainly jumped out. I guess looking beyond Latin America, there is one territory yet to launch. It's 17 days before Mario makes his way into his home territory of Japan. So as we start to look at the international legs on this title, uh, you would imagine there's going to be a real um, wag in the tail in 17 days time on the 28th of April where it rolls into home with all of the buzz coming from from the rest of the world uh, in its wake. So we've talked the dollars, we've seen how much it's earned around the world. Who went and saw it in the domestic market? Yeah, so I think one thing that is interesting is that this particular product spans a lot of different generations from the generation X to young kids right now playing Super Mario Brothers. So what we looked at was for comparable films is some of the comparable films were Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and 1, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Bad Guys, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Last Year's Lightyear, Minions, The Rise of Gru, and Toy Story 4. We decided to look at Sonic the Hedgehog 2 because that came out during the pandemic, so a little more like for like. What was interesting, and I, I think some of what we might see here is the lack of children's films in the last number of months, the infrequence was a little bit higher. It was 52% to 46% for Sonic the Hedgehog 2. The occasionals were about the same, 34 to 35%, 34 for Super Mario Brothers. The frequence uh, were still about the same, which it was 14% for Super Mario Brothers and 17% for Sonic the Hedgehog. What I thought was, was interesting here is that the, the number of tickets that were bought, uh, two tickets was 28% compared to 31% for Sonic the Hedgehog. It jumped up quite a bit to 42% to three to four tickets. So that would suggest families. And then over five tickets, five or more, was 19% of the audience, whereas it was 15% for Sonic the Hedgehog. 
one thing that you kind of saw with the age range was the super, super young kids, age two to 11, were 28% of the audience for Super Mario Brothers this weekend. But it really kind of ticked up at the 35 to 44 age range was 25% of the audience for Super Mario Brothers. So you can kind of see where the, the different generations were going, where people might have been going for nostalgia with just their with just their significant others, or they might have been bringing their kids to experience it as well. So you do see some, some interesting sort of demographics with this film. And it actually, the demographics as far as male and female were 50, 56% male, 44% female. The gamers probably tended to come out with a little bit of the older generations, but some some re really interesting numbers that they were quite similar to Sonic the Hedgehog for this time around. Yeah, that's terrific. And I think when you start looking at uh, some of the information around the film, you know, luckily uh, when we talked discrepancies, they were on the um, the conservative side and there's been a significant outperformance. Uh, it blew away, obviously, the forecasters. If you talk about forecasting being a dartboard, it's always good to hit the bullseye. You don't always do that. You'd like to hit the board. I think it missed the, the wall altogether and the dart sailed out the window, given how much this film overperformed. But similarly, there was a discrepancy in the reviews. And so when you look at what Rotten Tomatoes score from reviewers is, it sits at a, a pretty average 56%. But the public uh, has come out with a completely different view. Not only did they speak with their money, but it's sitting at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes with over 5,000 verified reviews. It got an A cinema score. And again, it goes back to a familiar rant from me at least, is what's the, the purpose of a, a film reviewer? You know, if you're maybe an academic, that's great. And you can look at, at the quality of a film. And the, the journalist Sonny Bunch was quoted as saying, you know, when you look at these reviewers, they're measuring different things. Lots of objectively bad movies are entertaining. And maybe that's fine if you're in an academic journal. But if you're in the New York Post or the New York Times or the LA Times or the Daily Telegraph, Guardian or BBC in the UK, all of which gave this film poor reviews, I question what their role is. Because I would think if you're in a popular publication, it's how do you spend your time and money? And if you're giving it a 56% Rotten Tomatoes review when the public is, is loving it, I question what their, their whole purpose is. I guess the other thing I just want to throw out is my, my favorite article headline, which came from Deadline. They, they had a headline which is, why the animated Super Mario Brothers shattered box office records and the 1993 pick failed, which is sort of like why ice cream is good and lobotomies are bad. Um, it feels like a real stretch to try and compare those two. But, gents, what do you think this says for family animation? Because it was one of those genres that was going to streaming altogether. Disney had, had done that with a number of releases. Uh, we'd seen fewer of these titles. What do we expect now? Studios need to start releasing more of them. That's just all there is to it. We got, a, we got quite a number of weeks before we see another really animated film for, for kids. And it would be, nice be nice if we had something in May to, to really light up the the kids box office absolutely i guess i i speak as a parent of three young children that it was it was a no-brainer right and as soon as it, it hit screens you know for us as a family that's a bit of a rarity to get out within a couple of days of a film opening like that uh we normally wouldn't charge to the to the movie theaters or, or five of us but but we did um and my wife thoroughly enjoyed it she thoroughly enjoyed the, the 92 minute runtime uh, which made it a lot easier as, as well. And, and it was a great buzz in, in the movie theatre. So certainly an experience that you know, we'll be racing back for 
when it's that uh, that type of fare which is on the screen. Yeah, and as you say, Ryan, there is a few weeks. The next animated of any sort is June 2 with uh, Spider-Verse. It'll skew a little older. The next genuine, probably family animated film like this is not till June 16 with Elemental. So hopefully we see some Puss in Boots staying power on this film. At 92 minutes, probably is worth going again with the kids if they're getting a bit rowdy at home. So um, let's see how the next six or so weeks pan out. Seeing the Fast X trailer, my, my eight-year-old son is now keen to probably watch that franchise as well. So, Well, you've got a few weeks to bring him up to speed for the 10th instalment. So a uh, bit of quality time with, with you and Jack. So um, if, if Mario found the families, um, I think everyone else had an opportunity to see a range of other titles. The, the key new release was Air. I got to see that myself with my 15-year-old, 17-year-old and wife. We absolutely loved it. It was a packed auditorium. My folks over in Australia, I won't give their age, but significantly higher, um, went and saw it and loved it as well. So this is showing that movies for grown-ups are back. Uh, how did Air go at the box office, Simon? Yeah, as you, as you touched on, a great result for Air this past weekend. Uh, domestically, it grossed nearly $15 million for the three-day, and it took over $20 million for the five-day, again, exceeding expectations there, which is terrific news for the business. Uh, internationally, it grossed another $10.5 million from 59 markets for a global total of $31 million. Yeah, and hopefully this has similar staying power given its um, feedback in you know, a cinema score. Uh, it's one where the reviewers and the public seem aligned with Rotten Tomatoes, 92% versus 98%. Not a lot of grown-up films like this coming. Ryan, who, who was the audience so far? Who can we think might be coming in the weeks to come? So some of the comparisons were, I think, as you'd probably expect, you had Creed Three, Champions, Plane, John Wick, Chapter 4, Cocaine Bear, Top Gun Maverick from last year, A Man Called Otto, and Babylon. One thing that I, I liked to see here that we saw a little bit less in Super Mario, but with the older audience, the infrequence when comparing to Creed Three from just a few weeks ago, the infrequence for air was 30% compared to 40% for Creed 3. The occasional was 31% for air and 37% for Creed 3. But the one that was nice to see was the frequent. The frequent was 32% of the audience compared to 20% of the audience for Creed 3. So more people are starting to come out more and maybe some of that Creed audience came out and saw this. So there could be that uh, adult fare for adult fare. And again, even the very frequency was 7% compared to 2% for Creed 3. So again, you, you, had a, you had some of the people who were really enjoying the in-theater experience. And it was a little bit of an older audience, as you can expect. The 55 to 64 was 20% for air compared to 10% for Creed 3. And 65 and older was 20% of the audience compared to seven. And that again, that's a really good sign that you're, you're bringing some of that audience back. Uh, but the male-female breakdown was actually exactly the same with 50% male uh, for both of them. But again, a really nice sign that there was not only a good box office, but a good age range that hopefully, because that age range usually comes out in the second week of films, the fact that they came out on the first, could foresee a, a nice second week for this film. Yeah, fingers crossed. And it's great to see that Amazon did make the decision to make this their first global release. In a lot of ways, I guess it makes sense because the film was in the can. Any box office has essentially found money. Uh, they are offsetting a, a reported $90 million production cost. There was a, a supposed $40 million for marketing on top of that. Um, but hopefully this is the beginning of a number of these sorts of quality 
films with big stars coming out from Amazon and, and their streaming brethren. So, you know, long may it last. Hey, Simon, this has been an incredibly diverse weekend. We talked about uh, a film for grown-ups with air. We talked about the family film. What rounded out the top five domestically? Uh, yeah, John Wick Chapter 4 uh, continued in second position, 48.5% drop, down to 14.6 million for the three-day, 22 million ahead of John Wick Parabellum after 17 days of release, but still needs another 24 million to catch the lifetime of that total. Uh, the global has surpassed $300 million, just a tick under $305 million at this point from release. Uh, in number three, we had Dungeons and Dragons. Pretty close with John Wick 4 at $14.5 million or a 61% drop, uh, bringing its global total now to $124 million. Rounding out the top five, we had Scream 6 in its fourth week of release. Again, a pretty solid hold there, only dropping 38% down to $3.3 million three-day with the global gross sitting at $162 million. Yeah, so that's great. You've got a family film, you've got an adult action film, you've got the, the full-on adventure in D&D. Is the adult skewing uh, drama. You've got a horror title, and sitting just outside the top five was um, his only son. So there's a faith-based title there as well. Um, why don't we look into next week? You know what what's coming out uh, in the in the following week for us to talk about, Ryan? Well, this coming weekend we have the Pope's Exorcist from Screen Gems, and uh, looking to kind of get that horror audience. There's been a number of Exorcist-type films, so we'll see how that does. And then to kind of sort of counter that, I guess, we have Renfield from Universal, and they've got a lot of their monster characters. We'll see if Nicolas Cage, he seems to be able to bring in the audiences when he needs to. So we have that coming out as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, Pope's Exorcist, we sort of joked about last week, has released in certain markets, including Australia and New Zealand. It's sitting at $12 million internationally. So hopefully that brings a bit of buzz coming into the domestic market. And, um, you know, I'm starting to see some good reviews from Renfield, but hopefully it's a case of the reviews being aligned with what the public thinks and, and not being out on their own again. I could handle another rant from you next week. I've always got one just below the surface. Yeah. Did you hear about the Italian chef who died? No. What happened to the Italian chef who died, Simon? He passed away. No. <laughs> that one might even stay in this week. Oh, what a, what a bunch of professionals we are. Movio and Numero are two of the businesses within the Vista Group, world-leading provider of technology solutions to the global film industry. For more moviegoer insights, be sure to visit movio.co and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. The Behind the Screens podcast is produced by Grace Furness and edited by Patrick Hanna. Did you hear about the shrimp that went to the prawns cocktail party? He ended up pulling a muscle.